Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. Part two of the White House. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. I don't have any witty banter for the opening of this week's show. It's been a tiring week, I think. It has been. We uh, we went down to the lake this weekend, and uh, uh, it was a lake that I'm unfamiliar with, and I, I'm pretty sure it was the lake water that made me feel quite ill on... Why don't we tell the whole Monday, story? Monday, Tuesday. Where's your phone, Kim? Uh, it's at the bottom of the lake. <laughs> it is at the bottom of the lake, Kim... So did, my brother did her, Kim did her Kim thing and jumped off the dock. My with brother her phone was in the water. In the well, I didn't think about it. So my brother he was wasn't in the water. Drowning. He no, I was. I jumped in to dunk him, and so my brother was in the water, and you know we were all just hanging out, and I hadn't planned on getting in the water because you know the the day was a little cooler than it has been. And so I thought the water would be cold, but he just looked like he was having fun. And so I decided to jump in the water and dunk him fully clothed and forgot that my phone was in my back pocket. So thank goodness that it was my personal phone and not my work cell phone, or I would really be in a world of hurt. But so my phone sleeps with the fishes, quite literally. Luckily for us, the phone had just been paid for and our phone company and Samsung had a deal going on that you could exchange an old phone that they valued at at least $60. Which Steve had one. Which I just happened to have one because my old phone, I, I, I just had to he get had a new upgrade. phone. You had an upgrade. I, I had an I upgrade. And, yeah. um, you paid off your old one, got a new one. And so Kim got lucky. I got really lucky. And we got a brand new phone for, for, for nothing. For tax. For tax. Yeah. yeah. So. But it was really funny because uh, the lady at the store asked if we had insurance, and Steve goes, no, I don't think so, because we had insurance at one point in time, and it really was just kind of a waste of money. Like, you know, you still have to pay 50 bucks or whatever it is for the new phone. And the lady the lady said, well, um, you have insurance on your phone, like just me. Not anybody else in the family, not anybody else on the plan, just me. I have insurance on my phone. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it actually ended up being cheaper to um, just trade in, you know, yeah. give them back your old phone. Than give them my old phone and we got... get the insurance. Yeah. Did you get insurance on the new phone? Yeah, the, the insurance is still on the new Smart phone. Smart man. Yeah, phones are incredibly expensive. There. This one was $1,000 so and I don't even think it's the newest, greatest. Yeah, it, it was a Galaxy S10 Plus. And it's $999. Yeah. And Incredible how much a phone costs yeah, right now. It's not even the latest and greatest. It's like the average run-of-the-mill boring phone. But I wouldn't go that far. Well, no, but it's I mean it doesn't flip have... Or it's not the Fold. Yeah, it's not but a flip phone. I don't know if phone, I want one which, of those. Yeah, which a flip phone? What are we traveling back in time now? It's a fancy flip phone now, though. Yeah. But so, yeah. So my phone is at the bottom of a lake. That was a... Well, it is time to move on. One would think I learned a valuable lesson, except I doubt that I did. So, like you said, time to move on. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we we were talking last week about the White House, which every president except George Washington lived in, mm-hmm. and we moved right on up. And tonight, what it, it reminded me of the Revolutionary War. There was just so much stuff, and we we 
trying oh, to keep just it about the White House, just about the White House. Yeah, that it. I, we didn't think it would take two parts no, when I we really started didn't. this, but it, it it did. And so we're going to take up where we left off last time with um, the Truman Reconstruction. So decades of poor maintenance and the construction of a fourth-story attic during the Coolidge administration, and the addition of a second uh, second floor balcony over the south portico for Harry Truman took a big, huge toll on the brick and sandstone sandstone structure that was built around a timber frame. Originally, it was a timber frame. Mm-hmm. By 1948, the house was declared to be in imminent danger. You couldn't see my fingers. Air quotes. Air quotes. Imminent danger of collapse, forcing President Truman to commission a reconstruction and to live across the street at Blair House from 1949 to 1951. Is that that big house? I think this is the one. Did we talk about this last week? Yeah, we did. The big one 50, across the street? Yeah, yeah, it's like a whole... Huge, yeah, it's a lot bigger a than the White block House. full yeah. of... Yeah. So maybe Mrs. Truman just wanted a bigger house. Mm, I don't know. Suspicious. So they commissioned a Philadelphia contractor named John McShane and... To, to redo the White House, it required the complete dismantling of all the interior spaces. It included construction of new load-bearing internal steel frame and the reconstruction of the original rooms within the structure of the White House. So, so it they was, just completely rebuilt it. They pretty much had to From gut the ground it. up. Yeah. Wow. So the White House was completely gutted and reinforced with steel beams in 1949 through 1950. In the words of the administrator who was commissioned to do this, it was only standing by force of habit. Wow. So um, not only was it reinforced with steel, it was also fireproofed, which required a lot of destruction, obviously. Um, But to keep the facade and the integrity of the building intact, the construction team really jumped through a lot of hoops to complete this task, including disassembling and reassembling a bulldozer that couldn't fit through the door frames. Oh, we got to get the bulldozer in the house to work, to remodel the house. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Completely normal. When you have to take a bulldozer to (sighs) refinish your house. Okay. So the total cost of the renovations was about $5.7 million. That would be the equivalent of $56 million in 2019. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I'm saying wow a lot, but there's a lot of kind of mind-blowing yeah. information here. Some modifications to the floor plan were made, the largest being the reposition of the grand staircase to the open entrance um, hall rather than the cross hall. Mm. Central air conditioning was added, which is a good thing because I've been in Washington, D.C. in the summertime. It is hot. It is hot and it is muggy and really uncomfortable. I don't know how Abe and those guys did it back in the day. I bet they smelled terrible. They probably did. Um, So they added the air conditioning as well as two additional sub-basements for providing space for workrooms, storage, and a bomb shelter. That's important. Yeah, so don't forget the Cold War was beginning to heat up right now, and there was the, the threat of nuclear attack or so, you know, everyone thought at the time. From the Soviet Union. So, you know, wonder, you, you got to keep the president safe. So yeah, they built a bomb shelter. Do they? I wonder if they do drills. Like, do they do fire drills and, like, tornado drills and bomb drills and stuff with the president? I bet they do, but I bet they leave the president alone. I bet they... They, they just do it with the they, staff? They, they put a Secret Service guy and, and like, they grab place. him they run him to the basement. That's huh. what my bet would be. Now, I don't know. I never really thought about that before. Yeah, I do, because I imagine there's enough people that if something happens, oh, yeah. they can pick up the president and move <laughs> wherever they want to go. Yeah. 
So the Trumans, Carey. the Trumans moved back into the White House on March 27, 1952. While the house's structure was kept intact by the Truman Reconstruction, much of the new interior finishes were generic and of little historic value. Hmm. Much of the original plastic work, plaster work, some dating back to the 1814-1816 rebuilding, was too damaged to reinstall. President Truman had the original timber frame sawn into paneling. The walls on the Vermeil Room, Library, China Room, and Map Room on the ground floor of the main residence were paneled from the wood timbers that they, I guess, repurposed, I guess would be the term we would use right now. Yeah. That's nice that they kept the original, uh, little bits and pieces of the original here and there. Yeah. All right. Just like when the tornado took the tree down at our old house. I don't know where that is. I do. And you had me go save some of the piece of the tree to make something out of it one day. We never did. Well, give me some time. Okay. We've been moving and busy. Right. Another restoration. When Jacqueline Kennedy, um, the Red Room, as designed by Stéphane Boudin... During Can you say the, that again? I think it's Stéphane Boudin. During the presidency of John F. Kennedy, Jackie, um, wife of President Kennedy, 1961 and 1963, directed a very extensive and historic rec- redecoration of the house. Man, we are really having a time talking tonight, aren't we? I'm, I'm doing fine. Whatever. She enlisted the help of a lot of French guys. Henry France... <laughs> this Henry is why <laughs> these notes are in red... Because I could never <laughs> say these words, and that's why you get the tough words. Jackie Kennedy enlisted the help of Henry Francis DuPont of the Winterthur Museum to assist in collecting artifacts for the mansion, See, many of which have been said housed there. Henry Francis DuPont. Which is probably right, but okay. I like flair. Other antiques, fine paintings, and improvements of the Kennedy period were donated to the White House by wealthy philanthropists, including the Crown and Shield family. Jane Englehard, Jane Reitzman, and the Oppenheimer family. Stéphane Boudin of the House of Janssen, a Paris interior design firm that had been recognized worldwide, was employed by Jacqueline Kennedy to assist with the decoration. Different periods of the early republic and world history were selected as a theme for each room. The federal style for the green room, the French empire for the blue room. I think I like the federal style. The American empire for the red room. Louis XVI for the Yellow Oval Room, and Victorian for the President's Study, renamed the Treaty Room. Antique furniture was acquired, and decorative fabric and trim based on period documents was produced and installed. And the Kennedy restoration resulted in a more authentic White House of grander stature, which recalled the French taste of Madison and Monroe. So you think Jackie had some pretty good taste? I think she did, and I think she really is the one that turned it almost into a living museum. Um, in the diplomatic re- reception room, Mrs. Kennedy installed an antique Vieux l'Amérique <laughs> Nord wallpaper, which Zuber and C. had designed in 1834. The wallpaper had hung previously on the walls of another mansion until 16, <laughs> or 1961 when that house was demolished for a grocery store. Wow. And just before the demolition, the wallpaper was salvaged and sold to the White House. So... They, re- okay. they so repurpose that, everything. So that reminds me, oh. that must have been some pretty special wallpaper. Maybe with all the remodeling, they had to save some money maybe. But it reminds me of a joke about a really, we'll, see, we'll call it a tight family. A neighbor came in the house and saw Jack taking down the wallpaper. A neighbor said, Jack, are you remodeling? Jack said, nope, we're moving. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Moving on. 
The White House Guidebook was produced under the direction of curator Lorraine Waxman Pierce with direct supervision from Mrs. Kennedy, and sale of the guidebook helped finance the restoration, including the wallpaper taken from the grocery store. Kennedy showed her restoration of the White House to the public in a televised tour of the house on Valentine's Day in 1962. So in September 1961, Congress enacted legislation Declaring the White House a museum. So and the again, president like lives I in said, a museum. Like I said, I really What think was that movie? Night at the Museum? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I really they have all their nights in the museum. It's like I said, that I think Jacqueline Kennedy was the one that really turned, you know, her attention to detail and her, um, you know, research of historical accuracy for each room, I think is what really made it museum worthy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's what it... Right. I mean, she did it, and they turned it into a museum. Yeah. Literally an act of Congress. (laughs) Furniture, fixtures, and decorative arts could now be declared either historic or of artistic interest interest by the president. This prevented them from being sold as many objects in the executive mansion had been for the past 150 years. So no more White House yard sales? No more yard sales at the White House. Okay, on the South Lawn, we got a yard sale going on today. I wonder, you know, if, if their HOA, like, oh my put gosh, out signs White- or something like that. <laughs> the White House has an HOA? Probably. Mm. So when not in use or display at the White House, these items are turned over to the Smithsonian Institution for preservation, study, storage, or exhibition. The White House retains the right to have these items returned whenever, I guess, Mr. You know, President have- or Mr. President want them returned. Yeah, they have a, a big fancy dinner. We need that bust of Lincoln back for the centerpiece or whatever. Whatever, yeah. To preserve the historic character of the White House, no substantive... Substantive? Substantive? Substantive architectural <laughs> changes have been made. Yes, I'm stumbling on my words too tonight have been made to the House since the Truman renovation. Since the Kennedy restoration, every presidential family has made some changes to the private quarters of the White House. Like, well, It's like the ultimate Airbnb. Yeah. I, let's repaint the room. But I guess that's fair. Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean you're going to live there for at yeah, least four and, years, no, hopefully. Whether, well, I mean, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. People, ha- people have their own taste. Yeah, and, and that's fine because it's going to happen... So maybe you don't like Trump and you think, well, what a waste of money to paint it. Well, if Biden wins, they're going to repaint it. It all works out. I mean, honestly, I feel like it should be repainted with every new, even if it's a an incumbent president, I think that they should repaint it anyway, because with as many people come through every day, you know, you know, they're talking about like, the private quarters. Well, yeah, well, but even still, I would imagine they're still probably entertaining guests and stuff. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to repaint the house every four years. And, and, well, yeah, they do have an HOA. But before they can paint it, the Committee for the Preservation of the White House must approve any modifications to the staterooms. Hmm. And who's paying for those renovations? Well, I guess we are in the long run. Charged with maintaining the historical integrity of the White House, the Congressionally Authorized Committee works with each first family, usually the First Lady, and the White House curator and the chief usher to implement the family's proposal for altering the house. During the Nixon administration from 1969 to 1974, First Lady Pat Nixon refurbished the Green Room, the Blue Room, and Red Room, working with Clement Conger, the curator appointed by President Richard Nixon. 
Mrs. Nixon's efforts brought forth uh, more than 600 artifacts to the White House, the largest acquisition by any administration. Her husband created the modern press briefing room, briefing room over Franklin Roosevelt's old swimming pool. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit yeah, later. Yeah, so, but Rose, see, Roosevelt needed the pool because he had polio and right. he, it, it, he needed therapy. it for his physical therapy. Yeah, yeah. So it was there. Nixon also added a single lane bowling alley to the White House basement. I guess single lane. So I, think I guess it's funny that so it, it was lane. a one party bowling, you know. Do they, the, do they have bumpers? Probably. <laughs> I wouldn't. If I'm the president. Turkey Dick. Yeah. His I'm bumpers. Gonna, I'm getting a strike every time. But you know, you'd think they maybe put in two lanes. So like if they had like Republicans or oh Democrats over, they could do it like that. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So anyway, computers and the first laser printed were added during the Carter administration. And the use of computer technology was expanded during the Reagan Reagan administration. A Carter Air Innovation set, um, they placed some solar water heating panels that were mounted on the roof of the White House, but President Reagan removed them during his presidency for some reason. Redecorations were made to the private family quarters and maintenance was made to the public areas, areas during the Reagan years. The house was accredited as a museum in 1988. Now, in the 1990s, the Clintons refurbished some rooms with the assistance of Arkansas decorator Khaki Hawkersmith. Woohoo! <laughs> I've seen that so, television show, Ozark. So, Jackie Kennedy went to Paris and Bill and Hillary went to Arkansas. Um, they refurbished the Oval Office, the East Room, the Blue Room, the State Dining Room, the Lincoln Bedroom, and the Lincoln Sitting Room. Lincoln Bedroom's haunted. Did you know that? I've heard that. Uh, during the administration of George W. Bush, First Lady Laura Bush refurbished the Lincoln bedroom in a style contemporary with the Lincoln era. The green room, cabinet room, and theater were also refurbished. The White House became one of the first wheelchair-accessible government buildings in Washington when modifications were made during the presidency of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who used a wheelchair, as we mentioned earlier, because he was... He couldn't walk. Right. He, he, he could stand. He had polio. He had, had poli- residual effects from polio. Yeah. As a child. Yep. So in the 1990s, Hillary Clinton, at the suggestion of visitors office director Melinda N. Bates, approved the addition of a ramp in the East Wing corridor. And what that did, it easily allowed wheelchair access to the public tours and special events that enter through the secure entrance building on the east side. It's amazing that it took that long, though. Yeah. In 2003, yeah, it is that you you would think that they would do that, but maybe there's enough just aides and butlers and people that if someone came, they would be yeah, assisted up there. Yeah, but I, for I tours, I mean, if it was a museum from 1988 on, but it wasn't accessible until when did the Clintons take office? 94, 96, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just surprising to me. Yeah. So in 2003. The Bush administration reinstalled solar thermal heaters. These units are used to heat water for landscape maintenance personnel and for the presidential pool and spa. Now, why do they need heated landscape? I don't know. That is a great question. Um, I do. You know what? I bet you it's for like the fountains. So like, well, maybe so they don't so freeze. So the fountain they or don't whatever. freeze. So yeah. they can like. Um, Bubble and spa all winter long. Interesting that the presidential pool and and spa, as far as I know, there is no longer an indoor swimming pool in the White House. There is an outdoor swimming pool, but I don't think there's an indoor one Hmm. since they um, Nixon covered it up. 
like he did everything else. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. 167 solar panels were all tied to a grid. The panels were installed at the same time on the roof of the maintenance facility. Hmm. The changes were not publicized as a White House spokesman said the changes were an internal matter. So I guess it was national secret why they had to do that. Or and we yeah. can't tell anybody we're putting solar panels on the roof of the maintenance building. Hmm. Can't let anybody know. The story was picked up by an industry trade journal, though. And in two, and it became public. In 2013, President Barack Obama had a set of solar panels installed on the roof of the White House, making it the first time solar power would be used for the president's living quarters. So President Barack Obama went green in the living quarters. And he is the first president to ever brew beer in the White House. In 2011, Barack and Michelle Obama decided to use honey from the White House garden to brew the first beer from within the White House. Former President Obama told Smithsonian Magazine that the reason he decided to begin brewing beer was because, quote, there's been a transformation in beer culture over the last 15 years. Not only are there thousands of small breweries popping up all over the country, but people... And now there's one brewing up in the White House. But people are brewing beer in their basements all over the place, and I just thought it would be great to show, or to join in that sort of American tradition, or or a budding tradition anyway, and brew some of our own beer, which is... Interesting to me because President Trump now is a teetotaler and does not drink at all. So whatever beer making. He probably had one of those buckets of beer. I mean, it probably wasn't like what you're thinking about with so like, the White like House, down a history brew pub. The White like House that. brewery is is not being used during the current administration. I bet it was just they were brewing beer in buckets. In the bathtub? Yeah, in the tub. <laughs> layout, um, to layout in the amenities of the White House today the group of buildings housing the presidency is known as the White House Complex. It includes the central executive residence flanked by the East Wing and the West Wing. The chief usher coordinates day-to-day household operations of the White House. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit. Tom Hanks of... um, One of my favorite actors, by the way. Mine, too. I have a great... Deal of respect and admiration for him. He's got a weird set of colors, though. Uh, what, no, he... Okay, so the story behind that, at Wright State University, my beloved alma mater, has a really, really good film school. Um, the guys who, I think, wrote and directed Band no, wait, of Brothers... Here, let me, wait, one piece of trivia. The Wright State football team is undefeated since 1967. That is true. That's true. You'll have um, to research that on your own. The guys who I think they wrote and directed Band of Brothers are both Wright State film school graduates. And so Tom Hanks has a kind of vested interest in Wright State because he's you know close with those guys. So he um, kindly donated a bunch of money to our film school, um, built a new film building, and picked out a bright, bright, like, solid blue. I don't even know what color. What color. He, it's, it's Tom Hanks like cauliflower, blue. Cauliflower blue almost. No, it's like a bright blue. I thought cauliflower was. No, cauliflower is like a, like a light blue. Like, this is bright. Right. Um, you know what? It's, I, it's Tom Hanks blue is what it is. And he said that he wanted, when people asked him at the unveiling, like, why did you want to paint the building this color? He said... Because it stands out, and now you know where the Tom Hanks building is because it's the only bright blue building on campus. So I, I think you should take one second, and you should plug this program at Wright State. 
Because it is nationally recognized. Isn't it like... Our film school? The film school. Is it like the number one school in the nation or something like I that? I don't know or if it's number one. It's, but it's up there. When I went through... I graduated in what? 2007, 2008? Something, yeah, something like that. Like that. When I went through, it was ranked number four in the nation. Um, so Wright State, little tiny school in the Dayton, Ohio area. Like you wouldn't really think anything about it, but it is a really good film school. So if you're listening and you have aspirations to become a filmmaker, Wright State is the place to go. And that one program, they only accepted like 20, 30 people a Uh year into that program. Yeah, I felt so side story about that. I felt really bad because... um, Don't don't start bragging. It's not becoming. No, it's not bragging. It's um, There's one... one Well, don't tell it because we don't want people hunting us down. Okay. Anyway, I took a film student's A. Anyway, um... It yeah, Wright State is great. We have Allison Janney is from here. Dave Chappelle is from here. Um, Nancy Cartwright, voice of Bart Simpson, is from here. So we have a lot of really good. Oh, Rob Lowe, Martin Sheen, all from the Dayton, Ohio area. All um, in addition to Tom Hanks, all fans of Wright State. Anyway, Mr. Tom Hanks had donated multiple specialty coffee machines to the press court, the White oh, House. Yeah, back to the White House. <laughs> After he noticed that the machine they were using when he visited, um, it was a piece of junk, basically. I don't even know if there was one um, initially, but with the delivery of each new coffee machine, Hanks includes a note with the phrase, truth, justice, and the American way as an ode to Superman. So thanks to Mr. Hanks for keeping the press corps caffeinated. Now, if you were trying to keep up with all the renovations, here's a summary of what the White House looks like today. The original residence is in the center, Two colonnades, one on the east and one on the west, designed by Jefferson, now serve to connect the east and west wings added later. The executive residence houses the president's dwelling as well as rooms for ceremonies and official entertaining. The state floor of the residence building includes the east room, the green room, the blue room, the red room, the state dining room, family dining room, cross hall, entrance hall, and grand staircase. And on and on and on and on. The ground floor is made up of the diplomatic reception room, the map room, the china room, vermeil room, library, the main kitchen, and My other, favorite place. And other offices. We're going to talk a little bit, I think, later about the main kitchen. Um, the second floor family residence includes the yellow oval room, east and west sitting halls, the, hmm. White, the White House master bedroom, the president's dining room, the Treaty Room, Lincoln Bedroom, and Queen's Bedroom, as well as two additional bedrooms, a smaller kitchen, and a private dressing room. The third floor consists of the White House Solarium, Game Room, Linen Room, a Diet Kitchen, and another Mm. sitting room previously used as President George W. Bush's workout room. You know, with all that, you can just Google up in their diagrams of all this, I mean, it's nice to say it, but if you really want to get a good visual, oh, I'm just sure you Google can find up it and, and get get a picture of that. Or when we're not locked down on COVID anymore, you can take a tour. You can't see all of that stuff though. No, okay. So the West Wing houses the president's office, what we all know and the whole world knows as the Oval Office mm-hmm. and offices of a senior staff with room for about fifty employees. It also includes the cabinet room where the president conducts business meetings where the cabinet meets, as well as White House, the White House Situation Rooms, the James S. Brady Press Briefing Room, and the Roosevelt Room. In 2007, work was completed on renovations of the Press Briefing Room and added fiber optics. So, you know, back they added um, 
they added computers mm-hmm. during the car. You know, they added yeah. computers in that. And then it went to this. And now it's up to fiber optic cables and LCD screens for display of charts and graphs. The makeover took 11 months and cost about $8 million, but not all of that was paid for out of our tax dollars. The news outlets paid about $2 million for the renovations of the White House during that, hmm. during that renovation. In September 2010, a two-year project began on the West Wing, creating a multi-story underground structure. Ooh. Yeah. Some members of the president's staff were located in um, the adjacent old executive office building, formerly the State War and Navy building, and sometimes known as the Eisenhower Executive Office building. Now, the West Wing does contain a restaurant that is run by the Navy. It's frequently called the Mess Hall, hmm. but not just anybody. How original. Can, I know, right? Not just anybody can eat there, though. There is a takeout window for all members of the White House staff, but only senior White House officials and their guests are allowed to dine inside the elegant restaurant, which serves meals like um, you can get chicken nuggets there, chicken tenders. I'm sorry, I think they call them chicken tenders. You can, but you can get like some fancy stuff there, like you can get. Um, filet of sole, you can get, um, they have desserts. So there's a takeout window, but if you, in order to eat inside, you have to be a senior staffer. Yeah, I've never been invited in there for some reason. Huh, weird. East, yeah, well, the East Wing contains additional office space, which was added to the White House in 1942. Among its uses, the East Wing has intermittently housed the offices of the staff of the First Lady and the White House social office. So the first lady gets her own staff because usually a first lady will take on some sort of cause, maybe yeah, reading it's literature, a social watch, thing, yeah, something like that. You know, kids and reading and mine would be Alzheimer's awareness. Mm-hmm. Rosalind Carter in 1977 was the first to place her personal office in the East Wing and to formally call it the Office of the First Lady. Woohoo! The East Wing was built during World War II in order to hide the construction of an underground bunker to be used in emergencies. The bunker, I wonder if they ever, like, bump into all these bunkers they've put down there. <laughs> I'm sure they probably the, do. The bunker, you know, like, they're, they're digging and they hit a wall and they open up, oh, here's a bunker from World War II. <laughs> the bunker has come to be known as the President's Emergency Operations Center. Ooh. So let's talk about the grounds a little bit. The White House and grounds cover just over 18 acres. Now, before the construction of the North Portico, most public events were entered from the South Lawn, which was graded and planted by Thomas Jefferson. That's a long time ago. I wonder if he did it himself. Probably not. Um, Jefferson. Yeah, I think he. You think so? Mm. I, I, I don't know. Jefferson also drafted a planting plan for the North Lawn that included large trees that would have mostly obscured the house from Pennsylvania Avenue. During, I wonder if the HOA had to approve that. <laughs> During the mid to late 19th century, a series of ever larger greenhouses were built on the west side of the house where the current West Wing is located. During this period, the North Lawn was planted with ornate carpet-style flower beds. The general layout of the White House grounds today is based on the 1935 design by Frederick Law Olmsted Jr. of the Olmsted Brothers firm and was commissioned by President Franklin D. Roosevelt. During... Who... <laughs> During the Kennedy administration, the White House Rose Garden was redesigned by Rachel Lambert Mellon. The Rose Garden borders the West Colonnade, 
Bordering the East Colonnade is the Jacqueline Kennedy Garden, which was begun by Jacqueline Kennedy but completed after her husband's assassination. Okay, so I got to ask why you kept going and stuff like that. Because this is why we decided... Or one of the reasons why we decided to cover the White House. Remember a couple weeks ago, Melania redesigned the Rose Garden Ah, and took out all of the, yeah, she took out all of the very colorful flowers that have been planted by Jackie Kennedy um, as a legacy and a remembrance to her husband and replaced them all with white roses. So this is a very actually touchy subject for a lot of people, um, which is surprising. But I guess if you're like a horticulturist or whatever, or you're a presidential purist or you're a Kennedy fan, I guess, you know, it's significant. Or if you're a Democrat or Republican. <laughs> or if you're breathing. Um, among the old, oh, I'm sorry. On the weekend of June 23rd, 2006, a century-old American elm tree on the north side of the building came down one, during one of many storms amid intense flooding. Um, Among the oldest trees on the grounds are several magnolias planted by Andrew Jackson, including the Jackson magnolia, reportedly grown from a sprout taken from the favorite tree of Jackson's recently deceased wife. That's my favorite tree. The sprout planted after Jackson moved to the White House. Now, listen, you have a favorite tree. I know. uh, It's on the highway on the way to get home. It's It's a beautiful looking tree, too. little pine tree. But we don't have a sprout from that to plant. Well, we could pull off on the side of the road and get one if you wanted it. Um, the Jackson Magnolia stood for over 200 years, but in 2017, having become too weak to stand on its own, it was decided it should be removed and replaced with one of its offspring. Oh. Michelle Obama planted... The Obamas were a very green family. She planted the White House's first organic garden and installed beehives on the south lawn of the White House. And they grew beer from that bee. Exactly, right. which which supplied or, the organic produce and honey to the first family for state dinners, other official gatherings, and beer making. I like honey, and if you have local honey, it's good for your allergies. That's true. So Michelle Obama had a good idea there with the organic garden and the beehives. So the White House was, from the start, has been open to the public until the early part of the 20th century. It was the people's house. Yeah. President Thomas Jefferson held an open house for his second inaugural in 1805, (laughs) and many of the people that were swearing in at the Capitol followed him home where he greeted them in the blue room. Can you imagine? Just walking in. Just everybody go to, let's go, let's go to the after party at the White House. Yeah. Those open houses sometimes became pretty rowdy, and in 1829... President Andrew Jackson had to leave for a hotel when roughly 20,000 citizens celebrated his inauguration inside the White House. 20,000 people? Man, what a time to be alive. They must have been spread out on the, the South Lawn and all but that But listen, stuff. listen to this next part. His aides ultimately had to lure the mob outside with wash tubs filled with potential cocktail of orange juice and whiskey. Even- <laughs> We gotta sneak him out of the park. Tiger at the lighthouse. Even so, the practice continued until 1885 when newly elected Grover Cleveland arranged for a uh, presidential review of the troops from a grandstand in front of the White House instead of the traditional open house. What a joy I get kill. Mrs. Cleveland said, no. Uh, we are not having a party for 20,000 drunks. Guess who my new least favorite president is? Yeah, no, we're not. We're just not gonna do that, Grover. You have your friends, you have as big a party as you want to, but it's going to be outside. I just Ugh. I just swept the floors. Joy kill. Oh, yeah, I guarantee that Mrs. Cleveland just swept the floors. Well, you know what? Remember earlier in the yeah, last episode? Yeah, they had to pay for their own staff. She well, may no, have. Well, no, 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 no. Remember, they, I, whichever's wife it was, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, 
they were hanging their clothes over in the east wing. We're not they, allowed they to do that the, in our HOA. Do, no, we can't do that. Jefferson also permitted public tours of his house, which um, have continued ever since, except during wartime. Uh, which actually, um, was it Jefferson's house that they used during the Civil War to treat wounded soldiers? No. I think. No. I'm getting well, my houses confused. You're, yeah, you're thinking of Robert E. Lee. Oh, okay. Jefferson um, began the tradition of annual receptions on New Year's Day and on the 4th of July. Those receptions ended in the 1930s, although President Bill Clinton bl- briefly revived the New Year's Day open house in his first term. The White House remained accessible in other ways. <laughs> Hillary put a stop to that, too, <laughs> didn't she? Yep. <laughs> President Abraham Lincoln... Those compl- parties got way out of hand. <laughs> Lincoln complained that he was constantly beleaguered by job seekers wanting to ask him for political appointments or other favors, or eccentric dispensers of advice like General Daniel Pratt as he began the business day. So Lincoln put up with the annoyance rather than risk alienating some associate or friend of a powerful politician or opinion maker because Abe was a good dude. Yeah, I imagine at some point we are going to do, it'll probably be a two or three parter on Abraham Lincoln. Oh, but there's some you just know we have to. incredible stories about, I mean, there's I one story. I love Abraham Lincoln. He got, his wife came in, was like nagging at him, and he just like basically picked her up while he kept talking and carried her outside. We could actually almost do like a whole hour on just Mary Todd. Yeah. She was so a we, hot we, mess. So we've got to do a story on Abraham The Lincoln, Lincoln family is yeah. very sad. Now, anyway, moving on. There have been some incidents at the White House. and Aside from drunken revelry? Yeah. And right now I'm going to talk specifically about some aviation incidents. In February 1974, a stolen... <laughs> a stolen army helicopter landed without authorization on the White House ground. So how do you just go in and steal an army helicopter? Okay, but whatever. They did it, and 1974, it landed at the White House on the property there. 20 years later, in 1994, a light plane flown by a guy named Frank Eugene Corder crashed on the White House grounds and... Unfortunately for Mr. Corder, he did die instantly on that. As a result of the increased security regarding air traffic in the Capitol area, the White House was evacuated in May 2005 before an unauthorized aircraft could approach the grounds. Now, after um, in the wake of the September 11th attacks, which is coming up here in just a few days, mm-hmm. um, in September 2003, they resumed on a limited basis for groups making prior arrangements through their congressman. So if you want to take a tour of the White House, you can still tour the White House, but you need to write your congressperson and request tickets. Or um, you can also do that in embassies in the Washington area for foreign nationals. So if you're a foreign national, you can go to your embassy and request a ticket. But you can't just, even only a few years ago, before 9-11, you could go up, stand in line, get screened, and take yeah, a tour I remember. of the White House. Yeah, I remember. I did that. Yeah, and I, take a tour I of the White House. When I was in like middle school or high school. Yeah, but now you you can still do it, but you have to have a ticket before you can do that. Um, but other than that, the White House has remained closed to the public. Uh, the White House tours were suspended from uh, for most of 2013 due to budget constraints after that uh, sequestration thing that we all went through for hmm. that. The White House reopened to the public in November 2013, 
And like I said, you have to have tickets now, but uh, tours are now generally Friday and Saturdays from 8 a.m. until 11 a.m. And like I said, you need to get your tickets through your congressman's office. The White House, if, if you got to imagine, the White House is probably one of the most secure and protected buildings in the entire world. The whole complex is protected by the United States Secret Service and the United States Park Police. On and near the White House, there's air defense systems, and they're scattered all around Washington, D.C. I mean, ever since 9-11, I mean, it, it changed the world. It changed how we have to do everything from air travel and, and all that good oh, stuff. Yeah. And so and it really did change a lot of the security around what we call the National Capital Region. And there's air defense, which there was air defense set up there before, but it's 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 really tight now. All the airspace over Washington DC is closed. So if you take out take off out of Reagan National Airport, you you take off and you have to make some pretty hard banks so you don't go over Washington DC proper to get out of there. There have been a lot of rumors about tunnels that exist below the White House, which often I've seen include, those movies. They often include secret entrances and exits. And one supposed entrance to the White House is on H Street, which allegedly leads through an alley to the back of the Treasury Department's annex. Now, a few un- other interesting little tidbits. Um, the reporters in the press corps who report on comings and goings of things, um, some people might think that it would be rather glamorous to be a member of the press corps. Uh, It's not. If you talk to members of the press, they say that the White House beat is actually not that great um, and that there's a lot of sitting around and waiting that you have to order lunch by 9 a.m. or else you're not going to get it on time. Do you get out of the mess hall? Um, no, they're not allowed there. They're not allowed there. Um, that, you know, if it went, if it wasn't for Tom Hanks, there would be no coffee. Um, it's very cramped. There's not a lot of room. And most of the time, if you want to get the real scoop, you got to talk to a, an aide of a Congress staffer, not somebody from the White House. So just what exactly are my taxpayer dollars going to if we can't even provide the press with a cup of coffee. We, well, have to have, we have to depend on Tom Hanks. I'm glad you asked because to wrap up the show, you know we can't finish a White House show without talking about the most important room in the White House, which is, of course, the kitchen. Well, that would certainly be my favorite room. Mm, so I believe the current... Um, White House executive chef is Christetta Comerford. Uh, she's a Filipino-American chef. Um, but some of the interesting things that um, presidents have had as like their favorite stuff to eat uh, in the White House is really interesting. Um, President George H.W. Bush loved junk food, uh, especially Butterfingers and beef jerky. We would have gotten along just fine. I love Butterfingers. Not together. Not like Butterfingers and beef jerky together. But one thing that he did like together was pork rinds and Tabasco sauce, which makes sense because he's a Texan, right? Well, he may be from Texas, but I like pork rinds on occasion, but I'm not putting Tabasco sauce on my pork rinds. I don't do that much heat anymore. No. Nixon's favorite food, I think, is just completely disgusting. Um, he picked it up from, it was an eating habit that his grandmother picked up, or that he picked up from her. Cottage cheese Ugh. mixed with pineapple. I like pineapples. Topped with ketchup. Ooh. No. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. 
Um, ugh, it's so gross. Um, no, I, no. Frank, <laughs> I like ketchup, and I like pineapples, but I'm not putting cottage cheese with ketchup. Not your no. thing, and not ketchup on my pineapples either. Um, Franklin D. Roosevelt's favorite, one of his favorite foods was grilled cheese, so that's pretty normal. That's okay. Um, but he also liked uh, scrambled eggs. I like scrambled eggs. Fruit cake. I love fruit cake and fish chowder. I like clam chowder. He he allegedly liked foods that he could quote dig into. Wait a minute, you don't dig into soup. You <laughs> I dig don't, into steak. I don't know. You dig into a pork chop. You, you dig, can into, dig into scrambled eggs and fruit cake. Yeah, but you don't dig into soup. <laughs> no. Um, this next one, I actually think I would like to try this. It is an old family recipe, and Bill Clinton's family. Bill Clinton. Um, his p- pastry chef, Roland Messnier, uh, I hope I'm saying that a right. pastry chef? Yeah. He served 25 years at the White House Pastry Chef. Um, and there was one family recipe of Bill Clinton's that really he just like this, this pastry chef did not want to make, but it, he, you know, you got to do what the president tells you to. He, (laughs) (laughs) no, keep going, keep going. In his words, it is quote, an atrocious concoction of Coca-Cola flavored jelly served with black glacé cherries. Arkansas. I actually would try that. Coca-Cola flavored jelly. That sounds interesting. No. It's one of those like try it kind of a thing. Uh, I mean, I would probably try it, but it doesn't, that doesn't even sound good right there. I like banana pudding. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill with Clinton vanilla wafers? Is now, yeah. Bill Clinton is now um, supposedly a vegan, but he did used to love to really? indulge. Yeah. He used to love to indulge in jalapeno cheeseburgers. Do you remember those infamous, like, I remember him running down the street to McDonald's, yeah. like literally jogging down the street to McDonald's with all of the, the Secret Service and stuff. Um, Ronald Reagan was only allowed to have his favorite dish when Miss Nancy was out of town uh, because... She gave the chef strict orders to never give Ronnie chocolate of any kind. I would have sent her to California every week. Right? Well, while she was away, all bets were off. And Ronald Reagan's favorite meal included steak with a side of mac and cheese and a huge bowl of chocolate mousse for dessert. That sounds really good. I got a confession. Yeah. Our HR at work stocks her candy dish with (laughs) chocolate. Of all kinds. And I go down there and I I eat her chocolate. Well, I'm glad that you told me that because now I feel obligated to send you with replacement chocolates. She would probably appreciate that. I'm going, uh, Steve. (sighs) Eisenhower, do you? Well, send the good chocolates because I'm going to be eating them. (laughs) Do you want to, do you, would you like to take a guess as to what, you'll never guess it. Eisenhower, one of his favorite foods. Steak. No, kind of close. He liked um, like British, like real British foods. Like he liked boiled beef, beef stew. I um, love beef stew. Quail hash. I like quail. A prune whip or English rice pudding. Um, But he actually liked to fix himself uh, oxtail soup, which is good. Um, It takes a little bit of time to eat, but I, I like oxtail soup. But he wanted to make it himself. Um, another, so Ronald Reagan, super sweet tooth. In addition to jelly beans, jelly beans, 
Yeah, did you know that? Yeah, I knew that. That was like big news. Um, in addition to the chocolate pudding, he says that jelly beans helped him quit smoking. Um, and oh, his favorite flavor was licorice, though. Ugh, uh, gross. No, I don't do that. Um, well, I like red licorice. Okay. You know, uh, as kids, we would bite off the two ends of the licorice tube thing, and you could stick that down, and you could suck like Coke. Hmm. Use it as a straw. It made the... Oh, yeah. Like at the when you were playing Little League and your team won, you got to go get a treat yeah. from the from the, the stand, the candy stand or whatever, the concession stand. You get like a Coke and licorice and you do that. Hmm. Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, Johnson really liked chipped beef on toast. We call that I SOS. Like that. Uh, tapioca pudding. Yeah. Um, just something about the consistency of tapioca. Yeah. Uh, I'm not into that one. Um, Carter really liked to have um, a mixture of Munster, cheddar, all the stickiest cheese you could find mixed with onions, uh, capers, and strawberry jam in the middle. Oh, please. Interesting that Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer. He hated peanuts. Well, interestingly enough, I was in high school when Jimmy Carter was elected president. And lo and behold, right after that, we started getting on our lunch. When we go to the cafeteria for lunch, you get those little tiny Dixie cups, and they were filled with peanuts. Mm. Now, today, what I do, sometimes I have to go into high schools, and they have, and because of peanut allergies today, they have separate oh, yeah. rooms for kids with peanut allergies that they, they isolate and put in different rooms. But they were giving us peanuts for lunch back back in the day. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, he liked foods like comfort foods, like pigs in a blanket or fried chicken. Oh, me and Teddy would get along. But he also loved turtle soup. Keep your turtle soup. But you want me to fry some chicken tomorrow night? Um, that might be good. Okay. Um, let's see. And, um, founding father Thomas Jefferson loved to drink wine so much that he ordered it by the barrel. Uh, he usually drank four to six different wines at each meal. Um, it was, it wasn't uncommon to drink four glasses each night. Um, Abraham Lincoln loved gingerbread cookies. Me too. And so, um. I like molasses cookies. Yeah, you do. George H.W. Bush, for some reason, um, Barbara Bush really liked, like, overcooked dry fish. And so that's what they would have. Now, um, finally, our current president, um, he, Donald Trump, uh, something about presidents in white in the in in um, McDonald's. Donald Trump really likes um, apple pies from McDonald's. They're good. And uh, sometimes you get them two for a dollar. He actually um, asked the staff to replicate their McDonald's quarter pounders and their pie, but allegedly the attempts couldn't match the satisfaction of the McDonald's recipes because the White House chefs work with higher grade ingredients than what McDonald's does. So um, they just couldn't make their pie taste quite, you know, they, they're they working with too good of stuff. That well, President Clinton used to run down to McDonald's. Right. Well, per- President Trump Get the just, beast and like go through the drive through window. Right. Well, President Trump doesn't want to go down to McDonald's. He wants his staff to learn how to make the stuff 
there at the White House to you, save money. You know what I've been craving for? And I told you about it before we went down to Kentucky last week. And I'm almost ready to go to McDonald's right now if I could convince you. Ugh. I want a vanilla milkshake. I mean, I'll go with you, but I don't want anything. A vanilla milkshake. You would drink a chocolate and you know you would. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I'm not a big milkshake fan. Um, so, But I would go to, to McDonald's with you if you want me to. Yeah. All right. So there we go. There's your tour through the history of the White House. Past, present, current. Who knows what the future will bring? Who knows? Maybe, you know, whoever. if Donald Trump wins the White House again, then, you know, we won't have anything interesting necessarily no. to talk about because it's going to probably be the same as it is right now yeah. as and far if, as in the White House. And if Biden wins, if Biden we'll find wins, out what his we'll favorite food find is. find out what his favorite food is and what color they want the rooms. Yeah. So, and anyway. And decorate, so. Anyway, lots of changes in the White House. One of the most historic buildings in our country's oh, yeah. history, and I'm sure, you know, it, whatever country you're listening to us from, wherever your leader, your your president, your... Prime minister. Prime minister, whoever mm-hmm. is in charge of your country, I'm sure there's a lot of history in your building. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about it. So anyway, I'm thinking, I got McDonald's on my mind. Are the we going to McDonald's night, after the show? No, but the other night I did convince you to go to Taco Bell. Ugh. And yeah. So anyway, but you went and you ate. I yeah. Yeah. So I know mm-hmm. if if I convince you to go to McDonald's, I, I know you're going to get something. I won't. Even I don't if like, it's fries. I don't really like McDonald's that much. Their stuff is too salty. Well, I do, but it's been a long time since I've really had anything from McDonald's. I'm, but I'm not the president, so. But they do have really good French fries. They they do. Yeah. So anyway. Kim, if someone wanted to get hold of us. You can find us on all the social medias on Facebook at An Hour of Your Life, on Instagram at An Hour of Your Life, on Twitter at A Lost Hour, and you can write to us at Gmail, um, A Lost Hour at gmail.com. Anything else tonight? Uh, no, but I did have a question for you. We have a very cool um, next episode in the barrel, as it were. Um, when are we going to be releasing that? Saturday or Sunday. Okay. So, so you got a couple of episodes right, right close to each other. Can we plug it? Because this is a big one and I want to make sure people are tuning in. Yeah, go ahead. It's already, it's already recorded. We've listened to it. We are. It's a really interesting episode. I was so excited about this interview. Um, if you are local, you probably may have heard of Still Rice. Um, they are a local distillery here in Dayton, Ohio. We were able to sit down and have a, an hour-long conversation with their founder, um, and so we will one of one of two founders uh, still writes. I didn't realize is a family business. Two oh, yeah. brothers and two brothers and a wife. Um, still to this day, uh, and so we got to spend an hour with um, with the father of still writes, Brad. Brad, he's a wonderful man. Um, and so we'll we'll be putting that episode out on Saturday. It's, it's it's a really good one. It's already recorded. It's all ready to go. It's ready to go. So uh, you know when you're listening right now, it's Wednesday. Tune in on Saturday. It'll be out. Um, go buy yourself a bottle of spiced rum, still rights brand, to sip along with it as you're listening or whatever your drinking pleasure may be. Uh, and tune in Saturday for our interview with Still Rights. All right. So. From our studios in Sugar Crown, Sugar. Yeah, gee, oh, we can't talk. From our studios in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us.
sources for this week's episode include Wikipedia, Ranker.com, CheatSheet.com, and of course, WhiteHouse.gov. <laughs>